my name is Jenny and I'm going to bring the second Bible reading. The second Bible reading is from Jonah and I'm reading from chapter 1 starting at verse 17 through to chapter 2 verse 10. And in my Pew Bible it's on page 897 uh, but it's about two-thirds of the way through the Bible after Obadiah and before uh, Micah. Okay, so, or you can follow along on the screen. Okay, so starting at verse, chapter 1, verse 17. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord God commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jenny. It would be great if you could keep your Bible open with you as we uh, work through this text. It will be a good chance to engage with the, with the Scripture and to, um, to be thinking as we work along. Uh, I'm going to pray for us as we make a start. So let's pray. Lord, we know that all of Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And so we ask that as we come before your word now, you might do just that. You might build us up, you might grow us, you might challenge us, and you might encourage us as we need it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but life is a little bit like a puzzle, or a little bit like one of those kind of mind-bending brain teasers. That is, you've got a problem, and there's only one solution. While it might seem like there's lots of different solutions, there's only one solution. And so I thought what I'd do is I'll give you some example of the, the kinds of questions I mean. I enjoy, I enjoy working away these kinds of things, so I don't know if you've seen questions like this. So they're kind of mind-bending puzzles or brain teasers. So the question is, what belongs to you, but other people use it more than you do? Have a think about that. See if you can think, what belongs to you, but other people... What was that? Oh, wow, that's impressive. Someone got it. So it was your name. Oh, thanks for spoiling it on me. It took away my punchline. Thanks. But what about, let's see if you can get this next one then. The more you take, the more you leave behind. What am I? Oh, footsteps, come on. It's, this is too easy. I should have picked some harder ones, shouldn't I? I was, I was expecting you'd all be kind of sitting there stumped like I normally am. But let's see if you, I don't think you'll get this one. You see a boat filled with people. It is not sunk, 
but when you look again, you don't see a single person on the boat. Why? Oh, come on. So, yeah, all the people were married on the boat. So, um, yeah, thanks for stealing away my thunder. So, um, yeah. So, you guys are evidently much better at those than I am. So, like, I had to think away for a long time. And I was then kind of happy with myself that I got some of the simpler ones. And I thought you'd never get that. But never mind, evidently you do. But I love those kinds of mind games, those kind of puzzles and brain teasers. Because they present you with an issue, with a problem. And there's only one solution. And the, the thing about the best ones of these is, there might be lots of options that look like it's the correct answer, but they don't quite fit. There's only ever, for the best ones, only ever one solution that actually fits. And if you think about it, it's a little bit like what life is like, because what's going, what happens with life is we all face one big problem. We're all facing the same big problem. And there's only one solution to that problem. And so the big problem that we're all facing is that we're sinking in sin. The big problem is that we're at war with God. We've turned our back on God, we've ignored God and tried to live life our own way. And so because of that, we're sinking in sin, we're sinking in our rebellion against God. And just like these kind of brain teasers, just like these mind puzzles, there's only one actual solution that'll solve it. Other solutions might seem like they're kind of close to solving it, but they won't. There's only one solution that will actually deal with our problem in the way we need it to, and that is repentance. The only way to deal with this problem is to repent and turn back to God. And so what we see as we work through Jonah chapter 2 is this life situation acted out. What we see is that Jonah is sinking in sin. That's his big problem, and it's representative of what we're all dealing with. So Jonah, remember last chapter, he's turned his back on God. God's told him, go to the Ninevites. He turns his back and he tries to flee. He wants to live life his own way. And so what happens is God sends a storm to stop him fleeing, and he gets chucked overboard into the midst of a storm. And now he's sinking down in the water. Because of his sin, he's sinking. And he realizes... There's only one solution, and that is repentance. He turns back to God. And so even though he's sinking in sin, he's raised in repentance. And so that's what we see as we work through Jonah 2. It's almost like an example of what life is like for us. And so we'll start, so as we work in, we see that Jonah's sinking in sin. As we said, he's chucked into the water, and he's expecting to die. Uh, fair enough that he's expecting to die. Most people at those times couldn't swim. He's been chucked into the water, potentially hundreds of meters off the coast, maybe further, and he's expecting to sink down, breathe his last breath, and then die. Because of his sin, he's expecting to die. But God's got other plans. He saves him in perhaps the most unexpected way possible, with a giant fish. So have a look at chapter 1, verse 17. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now, of course, this is what the book of Jonah is known for, the giant fish that comes along and swallows Jonah down. And it's actually quite a debated topic. So lots of people, for this, for them, this is the thing that makes them discount the whole book of Jonah. And in fact, for some people, the whole Bible. They look and they say, people don't normally get swallowed by fish. You can't be swallowed by a fish. And if you got swallowed by a fish, you couldn't survive even if you kind of successfully navigated the kind of 
throat and you got down into the stomach, you'd run out of air pretty quickly. And even if you somehow didn't run out of air quickly, the stomach acid inside there would start to digest you and you just couldn't survive. There's no way you could survive inside a fish for three days and three nights. And so they say, didn't happen, impossible. But if we think about it, it shouldn't actually be that hard to believe because if God is God, that is, he's the maker of everything, he's outside of time and space, then of course he can act however he wants. Of course he can do things that don't normally happen. I mean, think about it, the Bible is filled with things happening that don't normally happen. For example, God stopped the sun in the sky so his army could fight. God parted a whole sea so that his people could walk through it and then he closed the sea back up over his enemies. God gave a child to a couple that were 100 years old and were barren and made them the father or father and mother of a nation beyond size. The Bible is filled with God acting in miraculous ways. And of course he can do that. Because if God made the world, if God is outside of time and space, then of course he can act how he wants. And so in reality, the only reason to discount what we see in the book of Jonah is if we don't believe in God at all. If we don't believe in God at all, well, sure, okay, maybe you can say it doesn't happen. But if we believe that God exists, then surely it's possible for this to happen, even though it doesn't normally happen. And so that's what happens. Jonah gets swallowed by this fish. It might seem like good news. You think, oh, this is good. He's not going to die now. He's been swallowed. He's saved. But think about it. This is actually equally bad news. Because now he's stuck inside a giant fish, hundreds of meters under the water, as it's swimming down and down and down and down, deeper and deeper, waiting just outside the fish's mouth is death. How's he going to get out? How's he going to get out of a fish stuck hundreds of meters under water? See, this is still not a good thing. Jonah's still sinking in sin. And so he's kind of sinking in sin, and as he does, he finally does what, we, what we've been waiting for him to do the whole time. All of chapter 1, we're waiting for Jonah to pray to God, to come to God, to bow down before God. Remember, the sailors, uh, the captain of the sailors are basically begging Jonah, please pray to your God, talk to him, and Jonah refuses. Yet now he finally does it. He prays to God, he calls out to God. While he's sinking in sin, he calls out to God. And did you notice the term that it uses for God as he does it? Have a look at verse, chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. The title there is, the, is a personal title. It's not just the Lord God, it's a Lord his God. The whole of chapter 1, it seems like Jonah is separated from God, yet now as he comes before God, there's ownership he says, God, you are my God. And as he's sinking and as he prays and calls out to God, God hears and God answers. Have a look at verse 2. In my, this is Jonah speaking. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depth of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Out of his distress, he calls out to God. And it makes sense that this is out of his distress, isn't it? Like, this would be a distressing situation. It's smelly, it's sticky, it's cramped and cold. There's probably water kind of floating around his ankles. There's probably chunks of partially de de digested food chunks kind of floating around him. Imagine there's probably fish mucus kind of stuck to him that he's got to try and wipe off. Imagine the smell inside the fish. This would be a horrible situation. And he's stuck in there, 
stuck in this horrible situation. And that's why it's kind of described as he calls out from the depth of the grave. He's calling out from death's doorstep. He's calling out as he's sinking down in sin. That's a situation he finds himself in. Utterly alone, utterly helpless, utterly powerless. He's sinking in sin. Sinking deeper and deeper and deeper. Have a look at the third verse. You hurled me into the depth, into the heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. He's sinking into this unexplored depth of the ocean. Now, it's easy for us who live in Australia. We love the beach. We love water. We love going surfing and boogie boarding. We love sun tanning. The beach and water is a great thing. We love it. But just ask someone who can't swim what they think of the beach or what they think of water. It can be quite a fearful place. It can be quite a dangerous place where if you're going on a boat over water, you're just an, ed- just an instant away from death. If you fall in the water, it can be death. And the ocean is such a vast and unexplored place. I don't know if you know how much of the ocean we've explored, if you consider the depth as well as the surface, but we've only explored 20% of it. We've only explored 20% of the ocean nowadays. So back then it was even less. That's 80% of the ocean, the depth that have never had human eyes look on them. 80% of the ocean that we don't know what's there. We don't know what kind of dangers there are there. 80% of the ocean is unknown. And this is the depth that Jonah's sinking into. Sharks and jellyfish, stingrays, octopus, just waiting outside the fish, waiting to kill and eat Jonah if he comes out. Jonah's sinking in sin, sinking towards death. And so he prays. He knows there's nothing else he can do, so he calls out to God. He turns to God. That's what the kind of temple language is for. Have a look at verse 4. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. So it's not talking about him going to the physical temple. What it's talking about is the idea that God lives in the temple. The temple is kind of like God's house. And he's saying he will turn and look again to God. He will cast his face back towards God. So remember in chapter 1, we see he's constantly turning away from God. He's going away from God, fleeing God. And yet now he says he'll turn back to God. He'll look back to God's temple. And he certainly needs to because he's about to lose his life. Have a look at verses 5 and 6. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. It's like the water's kind of grasping at him. The seaweed are like fingers trying to kind of wrap around him and pull him down so the mountains can fall over the top, burying him underwater. This is is certain death that Jonah's sinking towards. He's sinking in sin, about to die. And this is the situation he finds himself in, a situation that only has one way out. There's only one way out of this situation. Because the problem is, all worldly wisdom will fail Jonah here. Because think about it, what do we usually say to someone who's kind of struggling in life? Well, one of the the things we say is, just think positively. Just think positively and things will work out. But how's that going to help Jonah? He's stuck in a fish, hundreds of metres under the water. What happens if he thinks positive? Well, he might die with a smile on his face. 
and I guess that's better than dying with a frown on his face, but it's still not a good thing, is it? Thinking positively can't help him. Or what about when people say, just believe in yourself, just believe in yourself, and things will work out. But again, that doesn't help Jonah. Just believing in himself won't get him out of this situation. In fact, you can make the case that believing in himself too much and believing in God too little was what got him here in the first place. He didn't want to listen to what God said. He believed in himself. He knew he could make his decisions for himself. And that's what got him here in the first place. See, no worldly wisdom can get Jonah out. He's sinking in sin and there's only one solution. And it's the same thing with us. See, just like Jonah, we're sinking in sin as well. Now, it might not feel like it because we're not stuck in a fish hundreds of metres under the water. So in that sense, I guess we're not like Jonah. But if you think about it, there's lots of ways that we are like Jonah. See, just like Jonah, we're often selfish. Just like Jonah, we often think too highly of ourselves and too lowly of God. Just like Jonah, we so often ignore God and chase after our own hopes and dreams. See, just like Jonah, we're sinking in sin. We're surrounded by sin. We're pulled down by sin and worldly wisdom can't help. Just like Jonah, there's only one solution and that is repentance. Because while Jonah finds himself sinking in sin, he's raised up in repentance. He turns back to God. He acknowledges that he's turned his back on God and he says, God, forgive me. He turns back to God and God hears him and God lifts him up. He's raised up in repentance. Have a look at verse 6, the second half of 6. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When he's sinking down, while he's sinking down and down and down to be lost forever, God hears him and God lifts him up. And what's the key? Why did God do it? Well, it's because of Jonah's prayer. Have a look at verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. He remembers God. He prays to God. Again, we have this kind of language of the holy temple, of where God lives. He's casting his presence back towards God. Remember, we're meant to be thinking of chapter 1 and remembering that Jonah was turning his back on God, fleeing from God in chapter 1, and now we see the opposite. Again, we got to get told that he looks back to God. He comes before God. He comes back into God's presence. And did you notice what he does when he comes into God's presence? He acknowledges God, and he acknowledges that only in God can God's grace be found. Have a look at verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Now, um, our translation uses the word grace, but it's actually not strong enough. So uh, this will be one of the few times I get to kind of flex my Hebrew knowledge. And so I spent uh, four years at Bible college learning the original languages. And I thought I'll never need to use that, but I get to use it now in only my second sermon here. So enjoy this. It may not happen again, but it's good it's happening now. The word that it uses here for grace is actually not strong enough. It's the Hebrew word chesed, which is God's special covenantal love. It's the special love that God has for his people. It's the special love that's like a father loving their child, that's like a husband loving their wife. It's this special, relational, caring love. And that's what it's talking about when it says grace. So grace, well, good, it's kind of not strong enough. 
And Jonah says, only in God can this special love be found. Only in God can we get this special fatherly, husbandly-like love. Chasing after anything else will forfeit. It's a worthless idol. We'll forfeit that special love. So he says, only in God can this special love be found. And then his prayer reaches its climax in verse 9. Have a look at verse 9. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. This is the climax. This is what we've been waiting for the whole prayer. In essence, this is the heart of his repentance. With a song of thanksgiving, he says, I will sacrifice to you, God. What I vowed, I will make good. Remember, this is Jonah. He's a prophet of God. And so he's vowed to follow God, to be God's mouthpiece. This is God's special chosen mouthpiece. And yet, what did he do last chapter? Well, he ignored God. God told him to do one thing, and he went the other way. He did the opposite thing. And yet now he acknowledges that he's broken his vow. He's gone against what he's meant to do. And he says, I will do for you, God, what I said I would do. He's repenting. He's changing his mind. He's following back. He's going back towards God. And he acknowledges salvation comes from God. Because remember, that was at the heart of what Jonah's issue was. He didn't like the Ninevites. He didn't want them to be saved. And he knew if he went and preached there, they would be saved. And so in essence, what he's trying to do is set himself up as the king of salvation. He gets to decide who gets salvation. He doesn't like the Ninevites, so they shouldn't get salvation. But now he acknowledges, no, salvation belongs to God. Salvation comes from God. You can see the change that's going on in Jonah's heart. He's repenting and saying, God, salvation belongs to you and I will be your servant and I will do what you command. He's raised up in repentance and that's why we get what happens in verse 10 where he's vomited up on the beach. And so what it does is forms this nice kind of bookend to it. In chapter 1, verse 17, he's swallowed down, brought down into the water to face certain death. And now he's vomited up back onto dry land, able to go about his way, serving God and living for God. It's this wonderful kind of conclusion to what started off so poorly. See, Jonah is raised up in repentance. And see, the whole chapter is showing us that repentance is key. Repentance is the only solution. We're all facing the same problem. We're sinking in sin. And there's only one key that will get us out. There's only one key that would get Jonah out because thinking positively couldn't get him out. Religious zeal couldn't get him out. His family name couldn't get him out. His good works couldn't get him out. Nothing could get him out of that fish except repentance. Repentance is the only key. And it's the same thing for us. The wonderful thing about Jonah chapter 2 means that it shows us repentance is key and repentance will win because we know it will win because we see Jonah here but we have the even better Jonah we heard Matthew 12 read out for us and it shows us that Jesus is the ultimate Jonah the one who spent three days and three nights not in the belly of a fish but in the belly of the earth in the belly of death in our place so that when we repent we can be assured that there is forgiveness that there is hope and that we will be raised up. That's the wonderful comfort that Jonah 2 gives us. It gives us an assurance that when we repent, we can have hope. And so that's what it does. It gives us hope, even in the most hopeless situations. Because think about it, what's the thing that sin does? 
Well, what sin does is it tries to suck away our hope. It tries to make us feel like there is no hope, there is no light, there is no chance of escape. But in the midst of that, Jonah 2 offers hope. It offers hope to those of us who feel like we're sinking into anger. Whenever something happens, we fly off the handle at the slightest inconvenience, yelling at our friends and family, at our loved ones. I mean, we don't want to do it, but we just can't help it. It just explodes out like a white-hot tidal wave. And it can feel so impossible to stop because it's, we're not in control of it. It's something that just comes washing out. It can feel so hopeless. We can feel so helpless. It can feel like we're sinking down into sin with no hope. But in the midst of that white-hot grasp of anger, when we feel like we're sinking in sin, Jonah 2 offers hope. It offers hope to those of us who are feeling discontented. We feel that kind of sickly grasp of jealousy coming around us and we look at what other people have and we wish that was ours. We look at their family, at their friends, at their house, at their car, at their kids, at their marks. We look at what they have and we wish it was ours. And again, it can feel so impossible to escape because it's there, it's ever-present. We can never kind of escape that nagging feeling. It can feel so hopeless. It can feel like we're sinking in sin. And yet in the midst of the sickly grasp of jealousy, while we're sinking in sin, Jonah 2 offers hope. It offers hope to those of us who feel like we're sinking into lust. We feel the insidious grasp of porn grabbing around us, pulling us down. It feels like it's such an impossible thing to escape. We can't even envisage a world where we wouldn't do it. We can feel like we're already defeated. And yet in the midst of the sickly grasp of pornography, of lust, Jonah 2 offers hope. It gives us hope. See, whatever situation we're struggling with, whatever sin we're battling with, Jonah 2 offers hope. It shows us there is hope. There is a way out. Repentance. And if we repent, then we have the wonderful gift of salvation. And it doesn't mean that we won't backslide sometimes. It doesn't mean that it's an instant flick the switch and we win kind of thing. But what we have is the hope that's offered up by the better Jonah. The Jonah who spent three days and three nights, not in the belly of a fish, but in the belly of death, so that we don't need to die. And so it means when we feel defeated, when we feel like we can't beat the sin, we know that Jesus is there and there's hope. And so that's the wonderful message that Jonah 2 gives us. It shows us that even though we're sinking in sin, even though we're all sinking in sin, there's hope. Because more important than finding out we're sinking in sin is the importance of finding out there's a solution. The solution of repentance. And no matter what sin we're struggling with, that's the key. Jonah 2 offers hope. I'm going to pray and thank God for the wonderful message and pray that He might help us. So let's pray.